0: Here we are. This is Real World Radio, on air. www.realworldradio.fm Threats and abuses of the growing gas industry in Mozambique Outcomes of the lobby tour organized in Europe showcase the need for a binding treaty to stop corporate human rights abuses. Mozambique is rapidly becoming one of the liquefied natural gas giants of the world, with little international media coverage, oil and gas monsters such as Exxon, Eni, Chevron, Shell, and BP are rubbing their hands at the million dollar business prospects in this African country. Ongoing projects, while still in their exploration and construction stages, are already displacing local communities and jeopardizing livelihoods, while greenhouse gas emissions are set to grow exponentially in the midst of a climate crisis. Two projects which have already received the necessary permits and funding stand out. Extraction operations are expected to begin in 2022, located in the Robuma Basin, to the north of the country, near the border with Tanzania. One is the Mozambique LNG project, led by U.S. Anadarko in Concession Area 1. The offshore construction works have not yet started. In May, French corporation Total acquired the NADARCO's African assets and are set to take over the Mozambique project operations at the end of the year. Meanwhile, the Coral South floating LNG project, led by Italian ENI and also US ExxonMobil, has already started offshore construction works in Concession Area 4. The new hydrocarbon business in Mozambique also favours other giants in the sector, including British BP and Royal Dutch Shell, as well as French banks such as BNP Paribas, Société Générale and Crédit Agricole, Chinese and Indian state companies, Japanese companies such as Mitsui, and also companies from Korea, among others. Activist Ilam Robot, member of Justicia Ambiental, Friends of the Earth Mozambique, Highlighted in an interview with Real World Radio, the current dynamics of the expanding gas sector in Mozambique, including continuous capital injections and different actors who do not take responsibility for the negative impacts they cause.
1: The gas industry is just changing, growing, like every time you wake up, every morning there's a different contractor that's been signed, there's more money that's come in. Some of the, the big companies that are involved, the main ones are ExxonMobil, Eni, which is the massive Italian giant, Anadarko, the US company, Centrico, which is from the UK, BP is one of the biggest buyers, like I said, Shell is also one of the biggest buyers. Then quite a few French banks, BNP Paribas, Société Générale, Credit Agricole, and then another French bank, Natixis, who is arranging for all the French finances. And lots of Chinese companies and a lot of state-owned companies as well from China. Indian state-owned companies as well, quite a few of them. Then lots of Japanese as well, like Mitsui, Samsung from Korea. Also a lot of state export credit agencies. Of funding those. Things are changing so quickly. So, and darko, for example, has, is not going to be operating the Mozambique liquid natural gas project, which it has been for the last 10 years when it started exploring. And it's just been Anadarko a few months ago was bought by Occidental Petroleum, who sold all the Africa assets to Total. So basically overnight, all of Anadarko's Africa assets, including Mozambique Gas, is now owned by Total. But Total are only going to be taking over the operations from the end of the year. So we've got a situation now where Anadarko is probably going to say, we're not responsible for all these impacts, Total is, while Total is saying, as they said at their annual general meeting, we're not responsible for what's happening on the ground, and the DARCO is because they're doing the operations. This changing ownership of companies, which is just one of the many sort of changes that happen every time you, you know, blink your eye, there's a change. It also means that companies don't have to take responsibility for what's happening on the ground. The operations have not yet started. The operations are only going to start in 2022. So at this point, it's really construction because Anadarko only received its target financing two weeks ago. So only two weeks ago did they make the announcer final investment decision that they have the green light to go ahead with operations. All of the impacts that we're seeing right now just in the construction phase are onshore. So this is how you've got people, you know, being forcibly removed already onshore because of the construction phase. And, And Adarco is only now able to go ahead with starting operations now that it's got enough money, basically. So we're still at a point where it may have all the financing, but we can't stop the actual operations, the actual extraction of the gap, which is the plan, right? So even though we're just in the Construction phase already the impacts are terrible. So we've got in the villages where the onshore support buildings are going to be built, 556 families already are definitely going to be forcefully removed. They're going to lose their land. They their farming land. Their access to the sea because a lot of them are fishing. Fishing people. We've been trying as Ja. We've been on the ground a lot, working with. People who've been telling us things about how the compensation process is supposed to be working. So really ridiculous. The way that companies have measured how much land people have is they counted how many palm trees you have on your land. So if you have 10 hectares of land, but you only have two palm trees, you're going to get 1.5 hectares of land, you know, which is what's happening. So people are basically going to be losing their livelihood. And the farmland that farming communities are given is very far away from where they're going to be resettled. People are being resettled into Other villages where, you know, 100 families already low, the fishing people are being moved about 10 kilometers from the sea. So fishing, you know, their livelihood is going to be completely destroyed. Air quality is already being negatively impacted. So if you look at the environmental impact assessment for one of the projects, it shows that greenhouse gas emissions for this one project will increase the whole of Mozambique's greenhouse emissions by 10% within the next three years. Impacts that cover quite a large range. Something else that's that's going to happen once operations start is that the sea is going to be very badly polluted. So the Corimbas archipelago, for example, which is a unesco biosphere and it's home to coral reefs and endangered species, uh, flora, fauna, that's all going to be affected.
0: The struggle for a binding treaty on transnational corporations and human rights, resistance from northern governments. In mid-June, Elam and other environmental and human rights defenders from several countries of the Global South held a lobby tour through Madrid, Paris, Amsterdam, The Hague and Brussels, joined by Friends of the Earth Europe. The goal was to push in favor of the binding treaty currently under negotiation at the UN on transnational corporations and human rights abuses. This treaty is particularly important for organizations and social movements around the world, which see it as the only way to ensure justice for communities affected by big companies. The treaty is seen as a threat by the corporate sectors and different governments in the global north where the companies are from. In fact, the European Union has tried to derail negotiations since they first began several years ago. About the lobby tour, Elan said,
1: in all of these countries, we met with different NGOs and civil society organizations who are working on fossil fuel, anti-corporate work as well. And mean, we also met with ministry and parliamentarians as well. So, And we also went to annual general meetings of some of the big companies that are deeply involved in the gas industry in Mozambique. So the lobby tour kind of, like you know, it covered a few areas. It was creating new partners and strengthening relationships with current partners and also being able to confront industry. The organizations we met across areas so some of them, for example Oxfam and Amnesty, I would be explaining about industry from quite a low base where quite a lot of people hadn't actually been involved or had much knowledge in these organizations about gas in Mozambique because it is I mean it's it's a massive industry but it is so quite sort of new in the international sphere in a country where you know the gas companies not necessarily gas companies aren't from. So There were some organizations that we explained the entire situation to and then some who had already been working on fossil fuel companies in African countries. There was a lot of interest, really a lot of interest, a lot of offers from organizations to assist us because so many of the companies actually... All of them are based in the global north. European governments often take European organizations a lot more seriously than they do African organizations, you know, unfortunately. In terms of the meetings held in Europe
0: with representatives from the gas industry and governments, LM considered them in general quite
1: hostile. Then the meetings with the industry and the government was very, in general, quite hostile. And what I think what I took out of it mostly was that these companies and governments both are either very stupid and oblivious or are very clever with how they hide, how much they know. So we went to the Shell annual general meeting. I did this with Melia Defensive and they'd arranged for proxy for me to go to the AGM and there I, so Shell, Shell is one of the biggest buyers of gas in Mozambique. They've signed on to be one of the biggest purchasers. So went to the AGM and asked about the environmental impact assessment, asked about the actions that the industry is creating on the ground. And they didn't really respond. But when we pushed them, when I pushed them to respond, their response was from the CEO that said, I don't think you really understand climate change to me. And he then said that what what's happening on the ground is not the problem of them as the purchaser, it's the responsibility of the operator. So they take absolutely no responsibility for what's happening. The
0: environmental activist was also shocked by a conversation she had with a government official from the Netherlands, whom she preferred not to name.
1: This was a really shocking conversation because when we talked about the binding treaty, repeatedly said, but what about China? It's just such a lame excuse." So I said, are you basically saying that you're not going to stop peeing in the sand pit because the other bullies are still peeing in the sandpit He said, well, if we disinvest or we pull out of Mozambique, Chinese companies will still invest in Mozambique. So I said, but how can you tell other companies what to do and other countries what to do if you don't take responsibility yourself?
0: At the end of the interview, Elam stated that the binding treaty is crucial for
1: Mozambique. I think the binding treaty is crucial for Mozambique, because there's absolutely no accountability for any companies, to any of their own governments even, let alone to the people on the ground, you know? The only way that we can hold them accountable, the only way that we can say, actually, this is not okay, and you need to stop and actually give them some way that forces them to be accountable, would be the binding treaty. There's no other way.
0: Real World Radio, broadcasting three words. Building Popular Communications by Furwine <music>